you butter slow down. The popo is coming for you. This week, the impossible is possible. We've reduced vehicle lanes on white, and police are enforcing vehicle noise. Plus, council opted to not delay a single capital project, and anyone who has a problem with that will have to run in a new ward next year. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 87. Uh, I am tired. I have a new kitten, and I'm putting this right off the top to shamelessly plug. My new kitten is a TikTok star. So head on over to that Zoomer Joyland. I don't know. I don't know what TikTok (laughs) is, but it's Atlas and Addy on TikTok. Instant follow. On to the rapid fire segment. Transportation Minister Rick McIver has confirmed through his press secretary that the Alberta government will not allow roadside seizures of vehicles caught speeding in excess of 50 kilometers over the limit. In a statement, he said, quote, Alberta is the only province in Canada that doesn't protect residents and law enforcement personnel from reckless drivers. And whenever you use the word only... That sounds like an... The incoming University of Alberta president, fresh off news of over 1,000 job cuts and massive imminent faculty restructuring and cuts in order to save $120 has announced that he wants to have an additional 10,000 students enrolled at the U of A by 2025, a 25% increase. Acknowledging that the stated increase in enrollment would be very ambitious, President Bill Flanagan outlined his plan to move more offerings online emulating the University of Phoenix model. Coupling cheap-to-deliver online course offerings and strict cost-cutting on instructional and student services, the U of A has said it is primed to deliver exactly the UCP vision for post-secondary education. Marijuana is not the only stink being raised this week, as the EPL has announced its intention to go to court over exceptions to the bylaw requiring cannabis stores be 200 meters from a public library. Since cannabis was legalized in 2018, there have been 20 exceptions granted to the bylaw, three in particular of interest to the Edmonton Public Library. The new Stanley Milner branch of the EPL will be featuring brightly colored, perhaps psychedelic, windows as part of its streetscape design, a feature which normally would be a welcome addition, but with a nearby cannabis store may function as a bat signal, communicating that the building contains Cheetos and Pop. Said EPL CEO Pilar Martinez, Quote, the only drugs you need are the dopamine from a good book. I, myself, often recreationally toke up Charles Dickens, or if I really need to unwind, like a long hit of Tolstoy. Our drugs are free and, at least outside of North Korea, legal. End quote. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, and I'm going to say something I never thought I said. This week, we want to tell you about Chartered Professional Accountants. This episode is brought to you by Straight from the CPA's Mouth, a new podcast series created by the CPA Foundation and funded by the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center. Alberta's Chartered Professional Accountants, or CPAs, are expert on a wide range of topics and issues of interest to Albertans. Straight from the CPA's Mouth has discussions on topics important to you, from leadership skills and achieving career potential to financial literacy and how to make your tax refund bigger. You'll find Straight from the CPA's Mouth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or on the CPA Education Foundation's website at cpaalberta.ca slash foundation. That's cpaalberta.ca slash foundation. This week, I don't know if the state of emergency has just gotten into council's head, but some things happened this week that I didn't think would ever happen in my lifetime. Not the least of which is White Ave had car lane reductions. 
So council renewed the state of emergency, but as you say, the relaunch is continuing to unfold in Edmonton, and they announced a whole bunch of more shared streets. So these are these things they've been doing over the last couple of weeks where they've closed lanes of traffic to cars to make more room for pedestrians and cyclists and you know other uh, non-vehicular travelers. And yeah, amazing. They're going to do it on white. And of course, the uh, OSBA, the Ultra County Business Association, and Councillor Henderson had been pushing for this, but still surprising. We've long since, we being me and my collective army of urbanists, we've lamented that the farmer's market could never sort of just spill out onto the street because we had that 83rd Avenue route open. And we all thought this is impossible. The city would never close a street like this. I'm starting to think, well, maybe the requirement for physical distancing, the reduction in traffic, and the fact that we are spilling out onto white might mean that this is a possibility we actually get this year. So I'm really excited about that. Um, Not that the pandemic is exciting to me or anything. No, but you're right. There's like, you know, this overwhelming feeling that it didn't seem possible before, but of course it's possible. We just do it. We just close it. One of the things that we all thought was impossible was free transit, and turns out it is impossible, in fact. Transit fare collection is resuming on June 15th, but bus passes are kind of going to be a free-for-all, whatever-works-works, I think. Yeah, you can use your March pass in June. You can use your April pass in all the way to July. If you buy your July pass, you can use that throughout the month of June. They're basically not making any new passes for June. Uh, So you've got a couple of months of grace period here to, to use it. But they are effectively starting to collect fares again, which I don't know if that's going to help too much with the financial problems they're facing, given that ridership is so low. But if it does start to come back up, they'll close that gap a little, I suppose. Another thing that's returning is e-scooters. Apparently, the city will issue licenses to two e-scooter vendors after working with Alberta Health Services and the e-scooter companies on contract terms. But I bumped on that two number when I read this in the press release because you and I had talked previously before the pandemic of it all that three e-scooter companies were looking to start up in Edmonton. There was Bird, Lime, and Roll, the Canadian company. It didn't say in the press release which e-scooter companies the city is working with, but it did say two. Right. And they may announce by the time this episode comes out. Who knows? That seems to be the way it works lately. But um, we'll keep an eye on those scooter companies. I did see a couple of weeks ago that Uber made a $170 million investment in Lime. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Maybe they'll change their plans for for rollout i'm not really sure but two companies and the two companies the big change of course is they will have to corral the scooters in one place at the end of each day to make it easier to clean which will be really tough to do in the case of lime you have the lime chargers that are juicers oh that marketing um perhaps that's an additional thing that the juicers have to do perhaps lime has trucks that they go around and collect, but that's a non-trivial expense. So already I'm a little bit skeptical of how these scooter companies are making profits on these huge capital costs. Uh, This operational cost, I don't think will make it very easy to turn a profit on e-scooters. Yeah, already low margins. Uh, The other final thing that we kind of saw in terms of the relaunch this week was the Edmonton Police are in the news for a couple of different reasons, but a new thing is called Project Tensor, 
which stands for Traffic Enforcement Noise Slash Speed Offense Reduction. What an acronym. Amazing. Essentially, they're going to have officers out with radar guns looking for speeders and, and I don't know, somehow listening for loud drivers, I guess. And I think they're just going to be listening with their ears. We've had speculations on pilots for ooh photo radar like guns to trap vehicle noise but the question that counselors have always asked is well isn't this just a traffic safety act violation and can't officers enforce this and i think that's the plan here is officers are just going to be out policing speeders and if they hear things that are loud with their ears they'll ticket Right. They says uh, in, the, in the Edmonton Journal article you'll find in the notes, over 100 tickets have been issued to drivers caught traveling 50 kilometers an hour or more during the pandemic. Uh, so speed is one of those things they're going to try to stop. And of course, the speeding also creates more noise. Um, but as someone who lives on 104th Street downtown, I'm very happy to see that Jasper Avenue from 95th Street all the way to 116th is on the list of locations that they're going to be monitoring for. Uh, because I can tell you the motorcycles and cars and trucks that you know try to stunt or show off downtown happens frequently, and it just echoes off all the buildings. So it should not be very hard uh, for the police to find someone to ticket. Especially if we're doing things like reducing white Ave vehicle lanes to allow patios to spill out more than they would have normally. Vehicle noise, speeding, this is all something we want to reduce. This is just another part of the reopening rollout that continues to move along. You'll recall that last week uh, you had shared some really good news with me about one very important issue in the rollout that the city of Edmonton was getting on top of. Uh, Tennis courts were reopening. Do you know how many games of tennis I played at the Ritchie Community League in the past week? I'm going to guess zero. Zero. The nets aren't up. Really? They, They did say it would take a little longer, but that seems excessive. I have sent an angry email to 311, and by angry, I mean, please can you tell me when this is going to open? Thanks for your time, and I will let you know when I hear back. Um, But the undertones of that message, lividity is what it is. (laughs) I picked up on that. There is some real news this week, though, Uh, not just tennis-related, actual real news. City of Edmonton and council dealt through a pretty big billion dollar round of decisions and they approved the capital budget adjustment. Yeah, so our spring capital budget adjustment usually comes a few weeks after the operating, which they dealt with previously. So this is all about infrastructure, things we're building, um, not operations for the city itself. And the adjustments that were recommended, you know, basically would have resulted in a uh, $1 million uh, net decrease for tax-supported operations. So, you know, it was essentially the things they had previously approved as part of the overall 2019-2022 capital budget would continue. Um, there was only two new profiles that I noticed in the uh, in the reports. One was about speed limit reduction. So this is the $2 million it'll take to implement the 40 kilometer an hour default speed limit signs all over the place. And then uh, $1.3 million for street safety priorities, which they said is about funding signal improvements and and installations. There's a long list of unfunded projects that were presented, including uh, the Lewis Farms Recreation Center, 
None of those things got funding, but they did basically say, we'll keep going as planned. Although Mayor Iveson talked quite a bit over the last week or two about the need for support from the other orders of government and warned that cuts could be on the way in the future to capital projects if we don't get some help from the other orders of government. And indeed, the only unanimous motion, I believe, that got passed during the uh, budget adjustment was his to bring a prioritized list of projects uh, back to council by the fall. So there's an opportunity in the fall budget adjustment to take stock of the financial situation and then potentially cut some projects based on that list. So there was a tweet by the councillor who shall not be named except by us when we do a segment on him. Councillor Mike Nickel said, quote, the public backlash against Mayor Don Iveson has been swift and continues to grow. Citation needed. Why is he, quote, playing chicken and sub, quote, with the feds and province by threatening to pull services like public transit without showing a sliver of fiscal responsibility? Edmontonians are waking up. Again, citation needed. End quote. Yeah. So there's a lot to make of right there, but... Far be it for me to say he has a point, because he doesn't. But if I were to say that Mike Nickel is approaching wrong clock strikes right, I'd say that during the capital budget discussion, a couple of the more progressive-minded councillors sort of gave the other side something to beat them with that they didn't have to. And that's the uh, resurfacing work uh, around the uh, civic precinct, I believe it's what it's called. Yes, yeah. So this is the work around City Hall, Churchill Square. Seems like it's perpetually under construction and will be for at least the next couple of years because of the Valley Line. Yeah, so they wanted to do some uh, maintenance and upkeep work that one could argue appears cosmetic to Mm -hmm. the public. Um, Potholes also appear cosmetic, um, but have obvious implications for uh, the upkeep of infrastructure. But the more progressive-minded councillors, they voted in favor of it. And of course, everyone who you assumed voted to delay it, they all voted to delay it. And they lost. Uh, The work will proceed. But this is one poster child of, should we be having fiscal responsibility? Why are we replacing pavers at City Hall? That's another stick that um, the opposition, I'm calling them now, can beat the mayor with. And I don't know that they had to give them that stick. Right. Councillor Nickel tweeted about that as well. So it was John Zadek, Mobanga, Tony Canarina, and Mike Nickel who voted uh, against that project, the Civic Precinct project. So they lost eight to four. Somebody abstained, I think. He tweeted, quote, history will show we tried to show some restraint and cautious spending as we know financial challenges are on the horizon, end quote. And he said, I want to personally commend the other councillors for their support. So almost trying to take a win even in defeat. Yeah. Well, there's going to be a lot of defeats in his future, so take those wins where you need them, Mike. Um, The other defeated motion was good old John D. from Ward 3, friend of the podcast. He made a motion to delay the speed limit reduction for an indefinite period of time, ideally forever, um, me putting words into his mouth. And that failed again, uh, four to eight, um, with council electing to continue their decisions and continue forward. I think of interesting note, though, uh, with all the shared street signs that have been popping up during this pandemic uh, and the messaging from the city around it, it said, due to people of all modes of transportation sharing these streets, uh, the speed limit is 20 kilometers an hour. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, administration's recommendation was because people share residential streets, we should set the limit at 40 kilometers an hour just a few months ago. And also there's quite a few signs out that say 20, right? 
Yeah. I mean, probably not enough to cover the whole area that they're talking about with this project, but yeah, it does seem like we were able to spin that up pretty quickly for the pandemic. Uh, shouldn't be so contentious to make it happen normally. I was listening to the meeting when this came up and uh, Zadok did say that he didn't want to, you know, reopen that can of worms. Essentially, he, you know, he says, I know we've made the decision. It just seems like we could delay this for a year and save some money, but they weren't having that. I do wonder if the pandemic will make municipal decision-making easier following this. Like, for example, Toronto just this week passed the largest single increase in construction of bike lanes across the city, and it was a widely supported vote, I think something like 23 to 2. That's news. That's pretty Mm -hmm. important news. And we're doing the same thing in Edmonton, where we're not legislative changes in the same way, but we are making huge rides, closing down a lane on White Ave, which people would have thought impossible. And I wonder when none of this goes wrong, when the public doesn't get as mad about the quote emergency bike lanes as Mike Nickel seems to think we are, I think maybe afterwards it maybe just might be easier to make changes for the positive future of our city. That would be nice. It's like the shock doctrine, but for good, I guess. Well, if one positive thing can come out of this, uh, that would be I guess positive. Getting to that positive end state, though, we have an Edmonton Economic Recovery Program, which was unveiled and passed unanimously this week. Yeah, so this was not really a surprise, I guess, that it was uh, was passed, but this is the city of Edmonton's plan to help businesses, essentially, with the relaunch. And so they talked about five different actions that were part of the, this Economic Recovery Program. There's really just two that need to be called out. So one is they've uh, given businesses the option of reducing their business license fees, but only upon request until the end of the year. So that's not a huge amount of money, obviously, but I guess every little bit helps. Um, The other things they're already doing, one-on-one program and what they call tactical responses and process improvements and red tape reduction. They had some buzzwords in there. The second key item that was new is this Edmonton Economic Recovery Grant. And so this is money, essentially, that they're going to give to businesses um, who apply for one of two different grant streams. And this is funded mainly through the budget reduction to EEDC that we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, And there's two streams. There's one called the city stream. So businesses can apply directly to the city for amounts ranging from $1,000 to $25,000. And then there's the business association stream. So associations can apply for amounts ranging from $10,000 to $75,000. And this will happen in two phases, essentially. I'm hearing on the larger end of those numbers, $25,000 to $75,000 per The reduction to EEDC wasn't that much. How is the city going to decide which businesses get this? Is this a merit-based decision? What's what's the criterion? Well, they do have about just over $5.2 million that they've been able to direct to this program. Not all of that, of course, is going to go to the grants, but uh, a good chunk of it will, I guess. They also talked about expanding the existing grant programs they have that you've you've, uh, talked positively about before, the storefront improvement one and the development incentive program. It's not super clear how they're going to decide who gets this money. They have some criteria that they've identified. Um, Businesses do need to apply and need to be evaluated based on that criteria. Councillor Knack talked about in the the media earlier this week that, you know, the, the objective really is to 
get the money to them. And so maybe it shouldn't be too stringent. And I think I saw Ian O'Donnell from the DBA also uh, reiterate that point. But obviously, as you can imagine, that caused some concern at council. Go figure. Uh, who had concern? <laughs> uh, well, of course, Councillor Mike Nickel. He he was the one asking questions about this, although he voted in favor of it. Uh, but he wanted to know, you know, what group gets it, which group doesn't, what industry gets support, which industry doesn't, how many jobs are we talking about rescuing here, what kinds of companies are we talking about? You know, he was asking questions about this, not quite to vote no, I guess, but enough to say, like, this feels a little bit too open-ended for my taste. And I don't 100% disagree with him on that. That's the thing. If someone sounds right a lot of the time, that's that's how they get onto council and how they run for mayor next year. In order to run for mayor next year or councillor, you'll need to look at the new wards, which were officially released this week. They haven't passed quite yet because they have to go to public hearing on June 16th. But we got an early look into what the wards might look like, and we got some early reviews from political commentators. So the Ward Boundary Commission, this is the first time in Edmonton's history that they've established a temporary committee of council to uh, review ward boundaries. They started in June of 2019, and this came to council because they've finalized their report. And they made recommendations to both the ward boundaries themselves, not to the number of them necessarily, or to the number of councillors. Those things were off the table, but just in terms of the shape and size of them, and also to the policy that guides how we design these boundaries in the future. So let me just first outline a couple of the, the recommendations that they made. So they strive to maintain neighborhoods as distinct within wards, so you wouldn't have a ward cutting a neighborhood in half. They also work to make sure that the boundaries could withstand population growth for three election cycles. So with four-year cycles, that's 12 years, of course. Um, They made substantial changes to the size and shape south of the river. So there are are big changes to the wards south of the river and very few changes to the wards north of the river. And then in the policy, they basically recommended consolidating some of the factors, separating out you know, mandatory criteria from desirable considerations, really what I would describe more as housekeeping things to make future exercises like this a little bit more uh, efficient. So I guess the headline takeaway from the recommendations is that the South is getting changed quite a bit. And Dave Cornway wrote about this at daveberta.ca, and he talked about, uh, you know, a number of councillors seeing their existing wards change significantly. So uh, not only does it potentially change the uh, power dynamics in the South, it also means that some of the councillors elsewhere, if they want to run again, might be seeking re-election in places they didn't previously represent. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting this next election because it'll essentially be the great leveler. There's a couple north side wards. Um, I'm thinking like Ward A, which essentially is the same as Ward 1, Andrew Nack's ward. Yep. That'll be an easy incumbency win if uh, the councillor decides not to run for mayor. Tony Katarina's ward, as an example, is basically split in two. Ward 7 becomes basically E and F. The councillor will have to decide which side he wants to run in. Uh, ben Henderson's ward, uh, which is Ward 8, which now might become sort of H, sort of F, sort of K, it's split three ways. And if he decides to run again, he would have to really think about where he wants to run and where his base of support is and where his strongest connections are. You had mentioned, though, that 
the south side gets a lot more quote-unquote power in this setup the proportion of wards in the south has increased i think that's interesting to talk about but one interesting thing that i don't think was talked about very much this week was how the wards increase the number of progressive wards that we might have because right now if you look at our current ward system you essentially just have two progressive wards. You have Ward 8, which is Ben Henderson's ward, and you have Ward 6, which is downtown Scott McKean's ward. The new setup, the South takes larger swaths and they go almost sort of like a hub and spokes model. You get essentially what looks like three progressive-ish wards out of it. E, F, and H, which represent sort of downtown, sort of like northeast downtown and the university area those all become areas where progressive urbanism could potentially thrive and the power dynamics increase i've personally lamented i'm in ward 11 in hazeldean and how it works is there's four communities north of argyle road that basically existed in ward 11 but the millwoods vote completely overwhelmed all of our voices right so that was a sort of like cracked splitting the vote area. This new system, it moves me in Hazeldean into uh, Ward H around the university area, but it moves the other half, uh, King Edward Park and Avonmore, into Ward F. Areas that previously were small areas of progressivism in a larger suburban ward, th- it has mostly been packed together. One could argue that uh, this has led to maybe you've diluted the overall progressive vote is it better to have a piece of progressive communities in every ward that every councillor has to hear from perhaps or conversely ignore because they're the minority of the vote or is it better to have a smaller number of councillors that have all progressive voices in their ward i don't have the answer to that question but i thought it was a really interesting change that uh, was less talked about i think that's a really apt uh, point that you make there i think that's you know, we we talk about the South wards getting more in number and and then becoming a little bit more homogenous. I suppose it's kind of like the uh, the argument around affordable housing. Should there be a little bit in every neighborhood? Council decided yes. These ward recommendations say no. We shouldn't have a little bit of urbanism in every neighborhood, perhaps or every ward, perhaps. I wonder what this looks like with the mature neighborhood overlay over top, because it looks to me like E, F, and H, you know, really encompass that. Now, the podcast listener who doesn't have this in front of us might be thinking, E, F, and H, what the heck are these things? I've never even seen this word map before. And you're right, dear listener, that is a bad way to name words. And council recommended that, hey, maybe we should fix that. Right. So the Ward Boundary Commission, when they put the report out, called them um, A through L instead of 1 through 12 because they wanted to differentiate them from the existing wards. They didn't want them to be seen as the existing wards change. They recognize there's a change here, obviously, a fundamental change to the makeup of these wards. So they went with letters. They weren't making a recommendation that they should be called letters or not. Um, But as you say, council did make some recommendations. They recommended that the Edmonton Naming Committee bring back some naming recommendations for these new wards. So the committee has until November to either keep the numbers, if that's what they want to do, change it to letters, maybe come up with some sort of geographic name or some sort of combination. We'll find out uh, sometime in the fall. Good idea, I would say. All of our other elections, federally and provincially, we have names, and it's much easier to talk about uh, where you live when it has a meaningful name based on either 
the location that you're in. Though I suppose recently a lot of uh, riding names have been former politicians, uh, which is less helpful for, um, but it is easier to differentiate between two names versus F and G. I'm sure we will talk a lot about that during the election, but the thing we have to talk about right now before we end is the NHL has announced plans to return to play and did Mayor Iveson and Jason Kenney's letters have an effect? Uh, Apparently, Edmonton is one of the uh, candidate hub cities. So the NHL confirmed they're going to do a, as you probably have already heard, because it's been all over the news, the media loves to talk about this, 2014 playoff format. They're going to have two hub cities. There are 10 current cities in the running. Three of them are in Canada. Um, But Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner of the NHL, basically said, you got to quarantine if you go to Canada, and that's a deal breaker for us. So that prompted Jason Kenney to write a letter asking to give these guys an exemption if they come to Canada. Um, we had previously heard um, you know, other politicians talk about how great this would be for Edmonton and then for Alberta. Even Dr. Hinshaw addressed this. The very first question at her news conference the other day was all about uh, breaking the rules or changing the rules uh, for hockey players. And it seems like everybody's keen to make this happen. We still don't know. The commissioner, Gary Bettman, had a, a news conference or an online video thing that he did. And I didn't think there was any new information in there. He basically confirmed everything we already knew. But it continues to be the thing that people talk about. If we allow hockey players to not have quarantine when everyone else does, is that not establishing a different set of rules for rich people versus poor people? I mean, that's the way it reads to me. Uh, You know, I guess the difference is that as an individual, you come to Canada, you have to quarantine for two weeks. That means you quarantine alone. Like you have a a place that you are, that you're not with other people. The change here would be that when these hockey players come to Canada as a team, the team can quarantine together. So let's say they all went, you know, to a hotel. If they were the only people in the hotel, that would be okay. And they could all interact with one another and they could quarantine that way. So they'd still be closed off from the rest of the community, which is the way that Dr. Hinshaw justified this. But it is different than how you or I would be forced to quarantine if we were coming back. Seems weird to me. Uh, This seems another case of we're expecting to give concessions to the NHL for what we've been told is a lot of economic gain. But we talked about previously, I don't know that a lot of people are going to bars to watch this 24 uh, player playoff that is in an empty stadium near them. I I think they just as soon watch it at home. I don't know that it brings a lot of life and economic activity to the city like the actual playoffs did when Rogers Place was open and people could go out and party in the streets. Yeah, even John Zadick talked about it this week. He said that he hopes that we can achieve everything they want to do without more tax dollars being spent. He thinks the NHL should be able to pay for it. But he did say that he thinks it would be a great way to promote our city and that it might be a way for us to attract business to Edmonton. I guess because if everybody's watching it on TV and they get to see that it's in Edmonton and Edmonton's a great place to go and play hockey, it might be a great place to do business. Uh, we'd like to attract your business to the Inventures Conference. Uh, Mac, why don't you tell us about Inventures Unbound? Well, it's the ultimate platform for innovators, investors, and industry to share, inspire, and interconnect virtually. 
Even in these times of distancing, connection and innovation are more important than ever. And the Inventors Unbound online conference is brought to you by Alberta Innovates. And it connects with ideas in investors and industries from within our borders and reaching far beyond. It'll be a series of live streamed events on June 3rd and June 4th, which is coming up next week. The opening keynote is by neuroscientist Tali Sherritt who will speak about how innovators and investors can harness optimism and improve their decision-making skills. And if you already had an inventor's pass, they were one of the last of the big conferences to get canceled, uh, that transitions automatically to Unbound. So you've already got access. If you want to get access, you can find the pass at inventorscanada.com. So that's all for this week. But Taproot had a pretty busy week this week. My inbox was full of new updates. Uh, A new story came out, I believe. Yeah, we've got a new story on the innovation entity. So we talked about that on the show here a few weeks ago. Uh, Eliza Barlow and Therese Keller. So Eliza wrote it and Therese edited it. Uh, Same team that worked on our earlier stories around uh, innovation. So they've been following this file for a while and did a great job of pulling together um, a narrative that uh, kind of explains how we got from there to here and looks a little bit at what we can expect next. So you can check out that story at taprodepenter.ca or in the Tech Roundup. And I heard that there was also a referral program that you can earn cool stickers and donations. That's right. We've launched a referral program for Taproot. This is something you've probably seen in other email newsletters if you subscribe to a bunch of them like we do. Uh, we always appreciate whenever anyone says, you should check out Taproot. They do great work. Thank you for that. Uh, now we have a, a easier way to say thank you uh, in the form of a referral program. So if you refer three people to Taproot, we'll send you some cool stickers, including a Speaking Municipally sticker. And that's the coolest sticker you can get. So while you uh, send an email to all your friends to earn that cool Speaking Municipally sticker, uh, we're going to go take a break for the rest of the week, but we will be back, sweet listener, next week. And until that point, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.